in nutraceuticals since when, when did you get into this into the health and wellness and nutraceutical industry um please and embarrassed to say 1975. Okay, i think it's fantastic so just to paint some background and then also you've got quite the marketing background of not just disrupting industries but actually creating new industries and so i'm really excited to start talking about how this COVID and pandemic and opportunities to really help other people with tools um, to prevent it. And Fred, welcome. Thank you very much. I feel very honored to have both of you guys on, but definitely um, honored to be sitting in the room with you guys. I, uh, I've made it a goal to sit with people that are smarter than me, and today I'm definitely not the smartest person in the room. And so thank you very much. But Fred, you've got spent a lifetime uh, researching and studying and um, explaining, yes, fighting the pandemics and fighting different viruses in healthcare, and then have quite the background in business, um, both mergers and acquisition on the healthcare side and growing businesses. So welcome. Thank you very much. And I'm excited to um, dive in. But Anthony, if you'd like to get us started, I know we kind of talked about what types of tools um, are out there. And Fred, what I know you probably have a little bit of a pre presentation put together. Um, what are your I wasn't planning on giving you a presentation, but <laughs> okay, Fred, you could speak happy from memory, though. Yes, Fred knows. So yes, yes. So what type what, of what I go ahead? What I thought we could start with, sorry, Mandy, is I was I was just as a little vignette. I was speaking with some colleagues in Milan, Italy, yesterday, yesterday morning, about this time, and as many know, they had an intense lockdown um, about six months ago. And they incurred a lot of infections and deaths. And it, it, this is with a a, a plant-derived pharmaceutical company. They developed a cancer drug with Bristol-Myers Squibb derived from a plant extract. So they're very science-driven. And even in the office or at home, they are in condition to wear a mask. And I asked them how things were going because it's it's really heated up there. And they had they said they had over 400 deaths in Italy, and half of them. We're in Milan, in, in a country with, I think, 10 or 12 million people as its inhabitants. And then yesterday, uh, Governor Newsom in California, be, beginning tomorrow, imposes a curfew. So it, it's becoming very evident again, yet again, that this is something that is significant. And I would say it's a tsunami that's bigger than the last one. And we have uh, a new at-home test that still has to be prescribed, approved as this week from Lucera. Uh, we have uh, three or four vaccines now that are in the queue. And we have lots of different uh, opinions and divisiveness. And so Fred, I wanted to ask you first, what do you do when you go out in public? What's your, what's your approach and your thought and your habits? Uh, oh, I, uh... I, I wear a picture of myself because I'm unable to be viewed because I'm so covered with PPE. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Actually, we do that in healthcare. Believe it or not, people are being treated by people who they don't actually see anymore. They've got a mask and, and uh, they've got a, a face shield plus goggles to avoid mucosal uh, transmission. Plus, they've got uh, double masks uh, that, and then they have full PPE coverage. They, they, they literally look like knights 
you know, nights in the round table. Uh, yeah. And they, they, they literally have a picture of themselves saying, you know, this is who I am. So they know, the patient sort of has some way of dealing with them. Uh, I, I don't do that. I have to admit, when I, um, I, 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 uh, I, I try to be extremely compliant with, uh, with the mask rules, I try to wear an N95 mask uh, whenever I'm outside uh, because that uh, prevents transmission both in, in my direction and from myself. Uh, and uh, I wish that the government made those available to everybody every day for free. I think that would really help and be a great investment. And it's disappointing to me that we haven't uh, engaged the manufacturers um, uh, of the masks, uh, people who are capable of doing this, like P&G, like Kimberly Clark, who are used to working with uh, with, with with these kinds of technologies. Uh, and instead, we're, we're relying on simply two quite small producers, uh, when you look at uh, compared to the world stage, who are highly regulated and can't expand their capacity very much. To me, that's we, what we did not do uh, with masks, PPE, and testing, and we did do in vaccines, the critical difference in that was we did ask the manufacturers to get involved in a very major way. We did uh, start to at least uh, expand their manufacturing capacities and invest in the, uh, with them. We did give them EUAs so they didn't have to follow every re regulation out there. And we uh, we bought the first billion doses <laughs> of, 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 of the manufactured product on spec. And we didn't do that with PPE. We didn't do that with testing. And believe it or not, these vaccines that are coming out, which are 95% effective, if we actually used masks and did testing properly, we'd also have 95% protection. That's what they've done in Taiwan. That's what they've done in Korea. That's what they've done in China. And we've just been sadly non-compliant, non-disciplined, uh, uh, and, uh, and 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 follow and pursuing a very uh, deadly strategy. It probably killed next to 200,000 people because we just didn't, you know, we, we somehow politicized mask wearing. I have no idea how. Uh, and then we, we we didn't test anybody. We couldn't find out what the virus was. That kind of that that that, that so that that was you know completely irresponsible. I tried. I do try to be responsible when I go out. I think it's something that is, is something that is uh, is, a, is a patriotic American. I wear the mask. I I I, uh, I try to keep. I, I carry hand sanitizers at all time. I have wipes with me all the time, uh, and I, I I stay my distance. And I almost always beat people only outside. I don't need anybody inside and, and, and at any time. I haven't met anybody inside for any event uh, since February. I was listening today on NPR. They had a storyboard, which is a way of recording between two people, a dialogue, and then it gets put to the National Library of Congress. And they had oh. Tony Fauci and his wife, who's also a physician. I think she's a physician. And they yeah. were talking about how their three daughters will not be joining them for yeah. Thanksgiving this year. And because Tony is of the age that would be a higher risk, yet he's an endurance athlete, you presume he's very fit. And they describe the challenges, of, the emotional challenges of not being able to share with your family. And, and what people are doing now, despite the shortage of tests, is they're using tests as a way to give them the green light to go travel for Thanksgiving next week. But in that, in that context, the... You said N95, and a lot of people don't know what that means, but then people have been asking me, because I use them sometimes too because of availability, is I use a KN95 or Korea-manufactured N95, which apparently via certification is just as effective as an N95 domestic mask. Tell us, Fred, what is involved in making a mask, an N95 mask, and how it differs. Yes, the, the N95 masks actually have to meet certain specifications. They have to screen 95% of the, 
of uh, of of three micron particles uh, out of the, out of the ambient air, and uh, in fact, chi the Chinese uh, regulations are slightly higher than ours. They also there are also regulations about how much air can escape from the sides. Chinese allow eight percent, we allow twelve percent, eleven to twelve percent, um, and uh, so they're actually slightly better. The, the best mass to use actually have a slight pocket in front of you uh, that 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 actually causes the air to slow down before it even reaches the mask, uh, especially if you're on, on high velocity sneezes or or coughs. It's much it's better to have a slight pocket in front of you, a little bit like a duck bill. So those are the, the very most effective masks uh, from our te tests right now, even though the, uh, the, the cloth masks are still 70% effective, uh, in and, and, and which, is, which is literally five to six times more than no mask at all in both directions. That means uh, both transmission and the receipt of the inoculum. An, an inoculum. Um, one thing is that the person who is wearing the mask is slightly less protected than the person who is not wearing the mask in a two-way conversation. And that's disappointing. So you really, it's harder to protect yourself than it is to protect others. Having said that, we, the CDC just finally released the studies that indicate it does protect you as well. Sadly, that took until after the election to figure that out. I'm not sure why, uh, but they, that, that they seem to have <laughs> not, not been able to do the test until you know two weeks after the election, which is sort of this, the, the, which really is disappointing, frankly. I think uh, to have known that in advance uh, would have been helpful because we had a lot of rallies, we had a lot of get-togethers, mm -hmm. and we, we, we put a lot of people at risk without unnecessarily. So when you say, when you give out percentages, not unlike the percentage that are protected from the vaccine phase three studies, where you're referring to studies done at, is at North Carolina or at Duke and in Florida, where they looked at the transmissibility of viral particles or gas leaving the breath or assimilated breath, which is an interesting way to approach it. Can you tell us about what those studies revealed in more yes, detail? They, that, 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 that's it. It's a, they, they were conducted at Duke. They were conducted, in the, uh, uh, as I recall, kind of in the, in the June-July timeframe. Um, and what they found was they were actually able to use a, a machine that very consistently um, allowed a certain velocity to uh, uh, of, of air to be uh, to, to be pressed through cloth. And uh, they then used laser technology to understand the dispersions and set the size of the, dis the dispersed molecules with different scenarios, including sneezing, coughing, breathing normally, singing, playing a bassoon, playing the piccolo. <laughs> they did everything possible. You can imagine, Anthony. It was quite, it was quite something. Uh, and so... Uh, they, uh, and what they found was that basically N95 masks uh, are are the, are the very best. Uh, they 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 eliminate uh, all but the 0.1 percent of all of uh, of, uh, of all breath coming through the, the yeah. fabric, and that's because they actually don't. They're not a woven fabric; they're actually a pressed fabric. And those extra crooks and crannies that are created by the pressing of the fabric together, the different size of fibers, actually is slightly better uh, than having a woven fabric. Uh, then the, the next level down uh, uh, was a was a surgical mask that's a, that removes everything except about 03 percent of the particles coming through, uh, and um, and they're, they they work electrostatically, so they're not they're much more comfortable to wear than the N95 masks, not as inflexible, um, but um, uh, they, uh, they 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 use electrostatic uh, connections uh, but to trap the molecules rather than the nooks and crannies um, uh, that they use in. Yes, there they are. I see it. Uh, and then These finally, are very uh, common with the little manifold, <laughs> and people see them. Those are two ply with uh, the two ply, and those are about sixty percent effective. And here's but the N95. There you go. Actually, that, 
that's the one you want. That is the one. The where passenger and gets the surgical. I get the K N ninety five. I like the. I, I prefer the ninety five also. I, I I agree, and I and it's important to keep that crease over the over the nose, very tight to your face, as well as under the chin. People are wearing, you know, they have the chin guards off and I watch them walk and they have their nose exposed. Do they have their, you know, or they've got, you know, it's, oh, the mask is six times too big and they try to tape it on miserably. And and so the, don't do not do that. You buy the mask that works. If you, if, you, if you have a very narrow face, then buy one that you can tie behind your head. Don't don't use the elastic straps. Uh, I watch these poor kids trying to, you know, keep masks on and the mothers are trying, struggling to keep them on, which is good practice. But uh, sadly, they have to actually be over over the mouth where you're uh, doing that. What's interesting about the study at Duke was they actually found that some masks are worse than nothing. Uh, okay. For example, um, the, the masks uh, that are made out of fleece actually cause greater dispersion of the molecules in smaller size, causing more aerosols and more transmission at about a 20% rate than, ha than having no mask at all on. And that was sort of a surprising fact. Uh, fact because a lot of people were wearing fleece it's more comfortable it feels luxurious you know when they put it on and in fact they were causing their molecules to be even more transmissible uh and and less protective <laughs> than having nothing on at all and of course the, the gator masks which are so popular are not terribly effective uh and then the, the, it turns out that there is mathematical formulas that have been derived not by the duke study but by other groups uh and they you know that that, that indicates that basically physical protections um and uh, are are do do matter so how much block Blockage you do have the air is important. So a triple cotton, uh, a, a triple cotton um, uh, filter is better than a double cotton filter. Uh, one with a little bit of of, of synthetic material and to keep the weave closer together after uh, after uh, after washing uh, is important. The washing, unfortunately, does reduce uh, the protectiveness of some masks uh, quite quite a bit. After three or four washings, you get frays around the weave, so you've got to be careful about that. Um, and then finally, uh, vacuum cleaner bags turn out to be the, the most effective at blocking, uh, but unfortunately, it's hard to breathe through them at all. So, yes. <laughs> so there's a, there's there's a there's a trade-off one has to make between wanting to breathe and and uh, and uh, protection. <laughs> Both sadly uh, are, are ne have negative effect over over a long period of time. If you can't breathe or <laughs> have no protection at all. I've been they, waiting to see oh, people use a brown, a brown paper bag to blow into it as if you're trying to reduce your breathing rate if they don't have a mask. And I haven't seen anybody do that, but I just have been waiting for that to happen. But, but Fred, you, you make a very interesting comment that to me is at the heart of one of the areas of or origins of resistance to wearing a mask is the discomfort. And when you, for the N95 and K95, it's blow molded polypropylene, which is a synthetic material. The emergence of a new social disease called maskne or mask related acne is now on the, on the faces and minds of many people. And acne is a scourge for many people. It takes an emotional toll. It's uh, very, it, it's also visibly d disturbing to the individual and may be the subject of some scourge or, or shaming by others if they don't believe in wearing a mask. But it, it brings to, to light the issue of you just stated about fleece being so comfortable. And uh, Mandy works within uh, a, the hemp industry. And one of the things that we've been talking about is fashioning a mask that is incredibly comfortable and has the designs of an N95. So to encourage uh, wearing and uh, efficacy, but then applying a chemical treatment 
that after it's dried within the fabric does not lead to anything that would be breathed or or inhaled so it's non-toxic and a chemical treatment renders the mask as an antiviral agent you can't state that because that requires fda authorization but one can state that the mask itself has been treated and protected from a virus what do you think that changing the comfort and the 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 shall we say the appeal of wearing the mask from a sensory perspective on the face would have a dramatic impact upon use of a mask among those that don't wear them religiously? Uh, that's an interesting question. I don't know. Uh, you, you'd, have to, you'd have to do the studies and actually kind of, uh, you know, ask different market segments. I, I'm sure there is a segment uh, that is resisting wearing a mask due to discomfort. You know, I'm sure there's a segment there, especially if they have to wear them often and for long periods of time without any, you know, without without any relief, because uh, it does start to become irritating at, o over time. So I'm sure there's a group of people who, uh, under certain conditions, uh, would you know, would wouldn't wear their masks just to remain comfortable. On the MACNE side of the issue, um, there it's very important that you you know that you clean clean carefully and don't wear cosmetics. I think uh, sometimes the cosmetics uh, under the, the mm -hmm. under the uh, mask become kind of a, a blockage to normal, uh, more, even more blockage to the pores and cause the, the, the acne than if you don't didn't do it. So make sure you clean carefully before you put on the mask. Don't wear makeup. Uh, uh, sadly, I know it's, if you're trying to be a fashion statement and can't wear can't wear makeup, but can can wear the mask. That doesn't really help much. Uh, and then uh, try to avoid uh, the heat, if you if, if you can, because as you as you as you perspire, the mask rubs against you and and, and causes uh, uh, problems. So uh, if you can, you know, uh, get get try to go outside, get some relief periodically, so that it doesn't build up too much. Uh, and as, and and again, just just uh, watch, watch the hygiene. Uh, no, don't use alcohol. Um, you know, don't don't use uh, don't use a lotion. Uh, just just soap. Uh, just uh, soap and, and, and water uh, is all, all you really need uh, to prep. Uh, as far as the, the segments that are resisting masks, we are looking carefully at who's resisting vaccines. Um, and there seems to be kind of four segments. The first segment uh, is groups that say, yeah, you know, sign me up. I want to have a, I want to have a vaccine right away. Uh, uh, and so the, the, uh, uh, and that's about, that's about 35 to 45% of the, Population, depending on where you are, there is some dispersion of the population um, the, the, uh, by by geography uh, and age. The second, um, the the and demographics. The second uh, big sector is the ones who are waiting and seeing. Let's go ahead and wait and see. It doesn't seem to be a big issue here right now. I think that was true about mask wearing. You know, if you talk to the people, they said, well, you know, I don't know anybody who got sick with coronavirus. I don't really know anybody who's, uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll wait and see because the mask is, is something new to me. It's foreign. It's not very comfortable all the time. So I'll wait and see. Uh, and then sadly, you know, uh, they, um, they, 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 they sometimes got sick. Uh, the third group uh, is a group, what I, what I would call cultural resistors. They're an ethnic group who've been kind of don't have as good access to the to, to to the healthcare system. Have been discriminated against badly in the past. Want to have, you know, kind of saying, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right to me somehow. Um, and uh, and maybe this is again, once again, uh, uh, you know, something that we can't trust. Uh, that's about fifteen percent of the uh, of, of of the people. Uh, then then there are people who are actually angry, uh, uh, and they're and they're, they're going to actively resist. 
And there's and that's sadly almost 20% of the population for vaccines is probably similar for, for masks, uh, maybe even slightly higher for masks because they consider the coronavirus a political hoax, politically inspired, pushed by a particular side for gain in some way. Um, and find and so and so and I, I would guess that's kind of almost thirty percent of the population. So you've got thirty percent of people who are actively resisting, who you really are going to have trouble convincing under almost any circumstances, unless it's mandated. Uh, you've got about about fifteen percent who feel that their cult that that their ethnicity has been uh, uh, been discriminated against in the past. Maybe this is once again a problem. You've got about 20% of the population who's waiting and seeing. And so only about 40% are willing to try it on and, and start right up with it. Um, and those uh, and, and so uh, that's the same kind of thing I think that's true about masks. And in vaccines, you got even a more uh, you know, a, a active group which has been actively anti-vax for a number of years. Mm -hmm. we, that isn't the case for masks. Uh, so we, we can eliminate that group. But what's interesting is that sort of indicates people's predisposition toward uh, pharmaceutical intervention uh, or non-pharmaceutical intervention for the, the virus and how prevalent and, and risky they think uh, this is and what they're willing to do about it. So that, that gives you a sense of what we've done as far as market surveys go. And of course, you reach those people in different ways. You know, you need to have different messages uh, for the people who are actively, uh, who, who, are, who are waiting and seeing. Uh, I think they can be convinced, but you need, they need to see that and be under, they have to understand what, what, what is restored to them. Should they wear the, start to wear the mask, like being able to see the family more effectively and so on. Uh, the, 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 um, and then uh, for the people who are uh, culturally resistant, we have to understand what, what they've been through in the past and be empathetic and try to you know, talk through their leaders, possibly with, with, through, uh, through church leadership and, 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 and celebrities uh, often uh, giving the message effectively. And then, and then finally, for the, for the people who are angry, I just think they're angry and they're not going to be listen, listen, listening very hard uh, to your messages. And so that's, that's, that's part of a challenge. Um, so that, that's the way we segment the market today uh, with vaccines, because if we don't with masks, um, you know, the problem with, with the challenge of the mask is if you don't wear it once and, and, and are, are unintentionally exposed, you, know, you may make one small slip, uh, you can get coronavirus with a vaccine. Once you get the vaccine, you, you're protected, uh, you know, to that level uh, consistently, no matter what, if you make a slip on a particular day or hour. And so we're watching for herd immunity levels mm -hmm. that we need to achieve. And for this virus, we need to get effectively to about 85%, I think. You know, you know statistically, if you're perfect and you have a you're epidemiologist and you say, if everything works perfectly, you're able to protect all the vulnerable people with all the uh, vaccinated people, then we could get down to as little as, you know, 75, 70%. But, you know, the reality is you need to be up quite a bit more than that because we're not distributed like that. And you've got pockets of, uh, of people who aren't protected at all uh, uh, and so on. So we like to get up to 85% and, and, and we're at least 30, even with a 95%, uh, effectiveness of, of, of a vaccine, we're at least 30% away from herd immunity. So even if, mm -hmm. if, if we think that 65% of people are going to get a 95% effective uh, mm -hmm. vaccine, we're still only about 50%, 52% protected. The rest of that protection has to continue to come from masks <laughs> and distancing and, and testing, and we're not very good at that. And so, you know, people think, oh, you know, I'll get the vaccine and, I, and, and we're done. Well, that's, uh, that, that may be true for individuals, uh, but it's not going to be true for society. We'll have to continue to be very, very vigilant, especially as we go through this period of getting vaccinated, if it's as successful as we think it's going to be. Fred, I, I 
uh, <clears throat> came across an article, I think I shared with you about a month ago, where a group in Japan took a human skin from autopsy the day before, and they showed that the SARS-CoV-2, the coronavirus that is at the axis of this pandemic, can reside on this still effectively living skin sample for 11 hours. And so to me, it's always important to add in hygiene in terms of hand hygiene and face hygiene as another part of the non-pharmaceutical intervention that goes along with a mask. Because what I see people doing often is they'll touch the outside of the mask and adjust it because it, it can move up or down. And then they don't clean their hands because they're away from soap and water. They just don't think about it. And so that's the other unseen force. But I, I have what you're describing, this, this these segments of vaccine embracing of resistance. When I was in grad school at Berkeley, one of the interesting things that we that we encountered was this, and this is in the, in the mid to late 80s, is a very strong animal rights uh, series of protests on campus because there was a significant animal animal uh, research facility, mostly with mice and, and rats. And one of the tactics that we used to convey some voice of reason, or at least to penetrate the resistance, was that for your animals, your companion animals, your dogs and cats, they have no problem vaccinating your cat for feline leukemia virus or for parvovirus for the dog, but they're resistant to it themselves for their own human person. Same thing for pharmaceutical interventions. When your dog has an infection, do you give it nothing? Well, if you didn't do dog studies, how would you know that the study worked in dogs? And I'm not trying to convince anyone, but this was a really interesting phenomenon to watch. But what is really interesting to me is, and you mentioned this in your presentation to Harvard Business Alumni this past weekend, which was a very engaging, um, shall we say, uh, viewing or episode of the Fred Brown Show. Thank is you. The, I think you said about a thousand different chemicals that comprise the base or the adjuvants that go into these vaccines. And one of the strong anti-vaccine messages that I've seen now for three decades of encountering these the people that have this belief, which there, there may be something to it. It's very rare, it seems, but it's still out there, is that the inclusion, for example, of thimerosal, which is a mercury derivative. The CoronaVac in China has an aluminum hydroxide component and you're injecting aluminum into the body. What are, can you give us some insight or even just a description of some of the chemicals that are going into the current vaccines? You describe them being very rare plants, for example, that help the vaccine mount an immune response when injected? Yeah, so so what we do with vaccines is we actually, uh, just, we, we actually try to cause a, 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 an immune response to the, bo uh, the body uh, that's permanent. And the, the problem is that you can either, it can either be too high an immune response, that means you have a little bit too active a virus, too, too many proteins, too much uh, uh, activity uh, for too long a period of time, and then you get hypersensitive, uh, or it's just not quite enough until you take a, th take a shot and you don't have quite enough immune response, and so you're actually still uh, quite susceptible and you don't know that. And so what we do with vaccines is we create the immune response, and then we use adjuvants to tune that response just so so it's just enough to give you an immune response, but not enough to give you the virus, and not and, and it's enough to protect you. 
And and those, so the adjuvants are ways of tuning the immune response. So some of them will be uh, stimulating and some of them will be a little bit reducing. Uh, and uh, everyone reacts to these things slightly differently. The immune system is something we've only really understood for, you know, since I was in, I, well, <laughs> I don't want to admit how long ago. <laughs> Let's just say it's we we still don't know very much about it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm joking. We 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 know quite a bit about it now, but but you know when we when uh, we're still finding out a lot about about it. One of the things that we don't know very much about um, is uh, is durability, uh, and we don't know what's going to happen uh, all the time when we actually inject and all these different group uh, of a co quite complex compounds. Many of them are biological. Many of them are extracts from plants that are quite rare uh, that we found over the years work to you know, mollify the, the or tune in the, the, the immune response to, to the vaccine. And so, as I said, they can be literally thousands of, of chemicals all mixed together in small amounts uh, to give a, a general, general response. And we have kind of basic reagents. Uh, that help put things into solution and keep things uh, easy to vaccinate. You wouldn't, you know, uh, the, the the new vaccines that are coming, I see, are quite thick and lipidy. Uh, those are going to be a little more painful to, to to inject, for example, than 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 the ones that are quite quite uh, uh, um, that 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 are very uh, soluble and liquid. Uh, um, so there, there are different factors that are going to cause an adverse event. So you find that you're going to be a little bit, have a little bit more pain with these uh, vaccines at the injection sites. That's the first big adverse event. The second big adverse event that we have uh, is you're feeling tired, uh, very fatigued. You know, uh, not so much on the first one, but on the booster shot, you, you uh, people are feeling a lot of fatigue. Uh, nothing, nothing to get what they call adverse event level four or five, which require requires you know, hospitalization or visiting a physician, but enough to that people complain about it uh, to a level what they call level three in the adverse event. Uh, we've seen that occurring about three, four percent of the time. Uh, and then, of course, you do come down with some of the symptoms that are similar uh, to coronavirus: headaches, fevers, chills. Some people are are are, are so cold that their teeth chatter enough that they break them. Um, so that that's that's you know. That's that's quite a response, right? Uh, so you want you, you want to have that adjuvant in there to give you just a right amount to so you don't sure don't want to have coronavirus for an extended period of time in a day or two as much as you want to take that. Uh, so that's what the adjuvant does. And there's a trade-off. There's going to be some small percent of the population, and it is a very small percent of the population. We we use these adjuvants and vaccines, um, you know, uh, for for literally millions of people every year. Um, and we're seeing, and we usually don't accept a, a you know, a, an adverse event rate uh, that 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 affects, you know, a, a risk analysis. Say, well, how bad is the disease versus how bad is the vaccine? And if that ratio isn't in the, in the one in ten thousand, one in hundred thousand kind of range, we tend to want to find a different vaccine for that person. So when you think about that level of adverse event, it's a very small number of people, but there are going to be. Some and when you are in that category, uh, you, you there, there's 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 one there, there are groups that are allergic to these uh, items and they they should you know they should understand what they're allergic to and 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 there are vaccines now that are thimerosal free and so on that you can aluminum free you don't you don't have to have a, a vaccine with aluminum in it uh, that those that those are available without aluminum. Uh, um, uh, for uh, I need to look up which ones don't, but uh, I, as I recall, I do not believe actually that the Moderna uh, or Pfizer vaccines have aluminum in it. As I recall, the vector viruses do require that as an adjuvant. Those that that would be the Johnson Johnson, AstraZeneca, and of course um, the 
uh, the attenuated virus, live uh, virus has the aluminum in it, and uh, as does um, as does uh, um, uh, the uh, the uh, dead virus, um, basically the the, the non living virus. So um, uh, the viral particle, I'm not sure about. I don't think that has the aluminum in it. So I, we, I, we can look that up for you, though, if, if, you, if you want. I can tell you exactly which ones have it um, uh, in it. And, and that's, that's because you want to, you know, uh, and so th and there are people who are allergic to that. I'd say it's less than 2% of the pop total population, so uh, have some kind of uh, event as a result of, of, of having an injection like this, but it's extremely... You know, it's, it's extremely rare, and we search for that. What we have is large signal detection systems, so you're vaccinating millions and billions. Literally, for this vaccine, we'll, for these vaccines, we'll be, we could vaccinate as many as a billion people. And so we're, we have what they call signal detection, and it's important to have that signal detection on for a good, good period of time. Some of these adverse events don't come until, uh, you know, Two, three, four, five weeks, even a year, a year later, um, uh, especially if, when, when mixed with other vaccines. We don't know that yet. We have now. That's why the FDA said we've got to wait for at least two months mm -hmm. before we want to take this out. Originally, it was one month. And you remember uh, President Trump thought it was because you know he was. They were they were against him at the FDA. The truth is that um, one month is not enough time. Uh, most of the adverse events come in about a forty-day period. We like to wait for six weeks. That's that's absolute minimum. That we use, and so the FDA was simply going up to an absolute minimum standard. The WHO is still requiring three months of safety data before they're willing to release any drug. And the other big question is how what, how dispersed is the population that's being tested in? If you're talking about only vaccinating the Chinese, for example, you don't know what the impact is going to be on other ethnicities, other genotypes, other phenotypes beyond you know fairly healthy younger Chinese people. Um, and that, that 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 would be a mistake then to go and jump right in and take that vaccine if it hasn't been uh, tested in your in, in in your age group and your demography. So and by by doing those things, we really reduce the amount of uh, of of bad uh, uh, potential bad bad side effects. Uh, literally, you know, we're talking about one in in, in hundred thousand, one in two hundred thousand uh, level effects uh, within. We'll know that we'll, we will know that within the next six months. About general, about general adjuvants. One of the interesting things that I've been contemplating, actually there are two, and I just read the, in the Lancet on Wednesday, they released the results of the CoronaVac, the Chinese vaccine. And looking at those data, and it goes back to what you said regarding mask efficiency, 95%, uh, and that some, that some particles can leave the mask, but it's not 100% effective or efficient. And then in the vaccine studies, this is one of the very few that's been published so far, is that they showed that at the dose that they recommended, three micrograms, two doses over 28 days, that 95% of the people responded with the right type of neutralizing antibodies against the virus in a test tube effectively. They haven't done the actual phase three study, which is what we've been talking about. But for those people, and one doesn't know unless they do blood work, if they are a responder to a vaccine. And that, to me, reinforced the need for non-pharmaceutical intervention, masking appropriately, hygiene, distancing, uh, outdoors uh, spaces. But what was, to me, has been the, the most, I shouldn't say troubling, but unsettling aspect is that the virus studies that have been done so far in the phase three with the Moderna, with the Pfizer and um, BioNTech, Bio 
is that they have uh, they have not yet done control dosing. They just put people out after they get vaccinated and let's wait and see who gets infected. And what has not been done yet in the States, but is being described and enrolled in Europe, which hopefully will be approved, well, we'll see, hopeful, is a controlled exposure. So everyone gets the vaccine and everyone gets exposed to the virus in a controlled known amount. And then what happens? What 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 are your thoughts about what the limitations of the current vaccine studies are in relation to its applicability to many? Yeah, so so um, <laughs> uh, this is an area that is is quite tricky. Uh, I th- what you're talking what you're describing is a challenge test, and the UK yes. NHS wants to do a challenge test mm-hmm. uh, challenge trial, uh, which means you take the virus and everyone you, you, you're exposed right now. What we're doing is we're taking the, the they're taking the, the vaccine and then walking into and uh, and assuming that because you know over over time with all these people, eventually statistically you'll it'll it'll all average out. Uh, and you know when you're getting into the tens of thousands of tests, and at this point we're close to a hundred thousand people having been you know injected mm-hmm. with some with some vaccine or another that's out there, um, I think I think that's a reasonable assumption. But you never can tell. So the challenge just um, is is one that you know how much ex- exposure everyone's had. Um, and my feeling is it's probably um, you know. This, this virus is dangerous enough and has a lot, enough long haul effects that if you were to fail the challenge just after being vaccinated, that would be a very negative outcome. That it mm-hmm. probably isn't worth the risk, uh, frankly. I think we can get there without it. Um, we might not get there quite as fast as, as normal, but because what being, what, if you look at the way the, 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 the studies are conducted, um, unfortunately, we, we chose clinical endpoints that were fairly easy to achieve. You know, we, cho- we chose clinical endpoints that if you have a, even a minor symptom, you go to the doctor and you say, I, I know I had the, the, I was one of the people vaccinated and I think I have the coronavirus. Uh, and then they, then they test you. And if you're positive, they, they note that down. And then later they break the seal and they see who's, who, whether you were vaccinated or, or with, a, with, a, with something that was active or something that was just saline solution. And they found, of course, that there was a huge, separation in those populations. The people who didn't have the vaccine were 95% uh, of the pop, of that population of infected people. And the people who did have the vaccine were only 5% of that, 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 of that infected people, of that infected group. And um, that's the way we tend to, to do to do uh, these these tests, you know, for Ebola virus, for almost all the viruses I've done, we didn't do the challenge test unless you've got a very good medicine. If you've got a very effective backstop medically, then it's absolutely then you're fine. You infect the person like the flu, and you give them Tamiflu and say, you know, uh, sorry, and it, it's not it's not terribly deadly, doesn't have long haul effects, and then it's very ethical to go ahead and I think do a challenge test to understand the broader population question you're asking. But if you don't know what the long haul effect is, you have nothing to stop a. a, a a virus, a viral, a virus that goes out of control in someone's body, then you shouldn't do a challenge. Just generally, it just too, it 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 helps the epidemiologist figure out a few extra numbers, but it, it doesn't. It's it's just uh, it's just too dangerous in my in my opinion. I, I think it's not ethical. Fred, I was when I first heard about the challenge studies that were being designed in Europe or in, in the UK, I was shocked at how many people had enrolled. And yeah. so I have to think that there was a strong financial incentive to roll in the belief that, well, if I get infected, I'll be able to deal with it because I'm 35 and fit. But And you you made that very key comment regarding a backstop, backstop drug. And I was listening to an interview with the CEO of Lilly, Eli Lilly in Indianapolis, where they have their antibody test now 
for emergency use authorization, and they've shipped 88,000 doses. But he was saying, given this new tsunami of infection, they will be nowhere near the ability, even fully scaled up, to produce enough antibody, monoclonal antibody for injection. Yeah, that's true. We use the monoclonal antibody for two reasons. The first big reason uh, is, for, is for a prophylactic effect. So if you're a, a frontline worker who you think you're going to get exposed often, you try to boost, you get to give yourself sort of a temporary boost. And these antibodies last for about 150 days in the body, and that's all you get. Um, it might be slightly longer, but that's in, in that range. Um, and these are neutralizing antibodies. So what's nice about it is that they really are powerful. Unfortunately, you know, we would need to have literally 10 times to 20 times uh, the amount of those antibodies available to uh, give everybody who wants one, one of those tests. That's about 17, 20, and in the United States, about 17 million people every half a year uh, or so would need to have uh, that pr prophylactically. And we can only produce about about a, a million, uh, uh, as I recall, a million a month uh, on the Lilly side, about a million a month on the Regeneron side. Those are the two that have been emergency use authorized. So what we do is we 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 give them only to people who need a boost at the at, at the end of their of their cycle. And the reason we're waiting till the end of the cycle is because we don't do enough testing. Uh, we don't know people are getting sick when they're getting sick, and so we're waiting until they get to the hospital. At that point, we say, oh, here's a, here's an injection of this stuff. And it's very hard, once the virus is established, to stop it. These drugs would be so much more effective if we could, if we could you know, identify those people who are, who are tested uh, or think they've been exposed because they didn't wear their mask uh, on day five, on day four, right, of the infection. Uh, and uh, and it turns out they're most infective when they are on day five, not not when they're on day ten. So they actually prevent a lot more of the of the exposure to others if we were able to identify these people, you know, have them mask appropriately, give them their medicine, and that would really uh, be very very helpful. So we're just barely able to show statistical significance if we you know inject people at day ten when all they have is a fourteen day course of the disease. If we're able to to inject people on day three, four, five. That would be tremendously effective, and that's what happened to President Trump. He was lucky enough to be uh, have access to everything that was necessary. He got the injection on day three or four, and of course, he was having rallies two days later. That's that's the difference in waiting, you know, that much longer with the with these with these monoclonals. Uh, you also have plasma effects of polyclonal. We can do about four times as much polyclonal work. The problem is that uh, we have to have neutralizing antibodies not, and, 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 and we're not having as many neutralizing antibodies at the levels we'd like um, uh, with the plasma protein as, uh, as, as uh, plasma, the convalescent plasma as, as we do with the monoclonal antibodies. So that's the, those are the kind of high level things about, the, <laughs> about antibody work. They are very effective, but you gotta get them, give them early. The, uh, what I heard is that the Lilly vaccine or excuse me, Lily antibodies are being assigned to people that have mild to moderate COVID-19 presentation. What is in intriguing uh, is for the vaccines, I've read that the people that are not being described as being candidates for treatment are those that already have been infected. And what continues to arise are increasing numbers of cases where a person is reinfected despite the belief by many that that initial antibody response will protect you in the future. What are your thoughts about reinfection? 
Uh, that's that's the biggest X factor. Durability is a thing about the, about the immune system that we know least about, um, unfortunately, and it takes longest to find out. By definition, we won't know whether the vaccine is more than nine months durable because we haven't vaccinated anybody for more than a nine month period. So whenever you hear claims of, oh, it's going to last forever, they say, okay, show me the study, please. And they'll say, oh, they have no, they have no data because they can't by definition, even in macaques, we haven't trusted the, these vaccines that long. So, um, so, so they, we've got nine months of data. Um, what's in, interesting uh, on the vaccines is we, um, the, the Europeans do test very regularly with the genetic code of the, of, 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 of the, um, of, of what's infected with the COVID virus. The COVID virus mutates quite a bit. Fortunately, we've got, we do have conserved portions that we have can create a vaccine against, but the areas of mutation actually uh, will tell you whether it's the same virus that's simply sequestered inside of you. And I think that is quite often that, that, that the reason you see you know, people saying, oh, I've been sick. And then, you know, three months later, they become sick again. Mm-hmm. Uh, most more often than not, that's because this, the vaccine is hidden uh, in, in your lymph nodes, in your testes, yeah, whatever they and the virus is, I'm sorry, the virus is, you know, hidden its way away. And they, and then it comes out again once you, you know, are, have a little, uh, haven't gotten enough sleep, haven't had the right nutrition, uh, you know, have been possibly been re-exposed. We think that re-exposure, the exposure levels overall. So, you know, mask wearing isn't just about the first time you get coughed on. It's about the second, third, fourth. And it turns out mm-hmm. that there is a cumulative effect that we're starting to see over a period. If you get inoculum, sufficient inoculum over a period of time, um, because you haven't worn your mask, then you, 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 you know, you will uh, be more likely to come down with disease, and that could be happening also. What's interesting is that in Europe, they've only seen about about five or ten instances of of uh, of when you've been infected by one strain or one clade of viruses. Then they do the genetic test. Says, Here's the genetic test, and that and they said that's therefore it's, we've defined your virus as this virus very precisely. And then three months later. They 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 take uh, they they retest you take that genetic strain and look at and if it's not a match then you know that you've been reinfected not mm-hmm. simply that the the virus has bounced back uh, and 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 suddenly uh, gotten you so there have been about I think seven or eight, or eight reports after a four month period so it looks like three months we've got at least three months of of durability but after month three at that point there are groups of people that have. That 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 the immune response has sunk so low that they can be reinfected. That uh, and so that's sort of what seems to be at least the first part of the threshold we're seeing about durability. And there will be a, I think there'll be a spectrum of responses. Some of us won't 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 be as won't have as durable or as effective response as uh, as others. Um, and so we'll have to we'll have to continue to test serolo- serologically. We'll have to continue to think about mask wearing. Uh, you know, for those people, uh, for for the period of time. That dormancy or, or that um, stealth hiding of virus in the body is very reminiscent of uh, a viral infection that a good portion of the population has herpes simplex uh, virus with an oral manifestation where you get the sun blisters or you are sleep deprived or you have an immune challenge and then it pops up out of nowhere. It's a lifelong infection that just has these dormancy, relapsing, remitting excursion so it will be really interesting as, as you say and time is against us because we want more time ahead of us and we can't accelerate that so it's very much wait and see yeah it is L- luckily this is a, a this is a respiratory instead of neural uh uh neural infection so uh hopefully 
<laughs> hopefully will, it, it won't, won't last a, a lifetime within you uh, or just simply being suppressed. HIV does the same thing. It hides away. Uh, but yes. so far, we, we're, we're finding it uh, more easily this time. The sheath coat doesn't change that rapidly as it does for HIV, malaria. And, uh, and, and, and we don't seem to have a sequestering in a very protective part of the body like, this, like the nervous system, like herpes, is able to escape. So uh, unfortunately, you know, the, we have ACE and uh, we have ACE2 receptors in almost every major organ of our body. And so it could, you know, it, it could go to places that we don't want it to uh, and, and, and sequester or, or, or pop back. Uh, uh, and, uh, or, or we could have immune response that are, you know, kind of overwhelming. The bradykinin uh, uh, storms uh, seem to be still uh, in question. It looks like the cytokine storms are less of an issue than we thought, um, uh, which is great news because that, that 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 kind of sepsis response is a, is a really deadly one well this Fred, is going medical geek on us ace two so that's angiotensin converting oh. enzyme two and that's a protein that's involved that is made by the kidney that's involved in regulating blood pressure but it also happens to be a receptor which the so-called spike protein attaches to and it's its portal of entry and uh, cytokines of course is this big inflammatory storm that Dexamethasone, a very old drug, has been shown to be effective when people get severe lung inflammation that basically shuts down breathing. So, so yes, it's fun to have that chat with you. You were going to Absolutely. say something, Mandy. I, I you're okay. This re this just reassures, like, or reinstates the importance of these tools that we have to prevent the virus. Fred, I don't know if you know. I just got over COVID, and so I these conversations make me nervous. It's this unknown and what's coming, right? And the fact that, you know, my immunity may only be a few months and I've got teenagers that are in school and playing sports and doing things that are exposing us at a much more rapid rate, right? Than being, um, than I, some of our activities don't allow us to, to not be, or I guess we choose to, my, my kids still play sports, right? They still do, um, participate in athletics and they have a small team, but when one kid on that team is infected, all of us were infected and every one of our families were infected. And so with that being said, these masks and the importance, you know, I go back to how many realistic women and people in business are gonna say, well, through this pandemic, we're not gonna wear makeup and I'm gonna give up my, the vanity. And so coming up with tools like a mask that allows it to be a layer or almost like a vaccine, a barrier that really prevents this and protects us is even more critical. And I'd really like to dive into you know, what those fabrics are like at some point, putting the polypropylene on our face and the dyes and the difference between a mask that works versus one that looks good. Um, you know, and I'm really taken back, Fred, by the increased spread in certain masks. You know, we talk about wearing it over your chin or over your nose, but the actual mask itself is equally as important. And so I'm really excited about the development and what we're working on collectively and what this group is, um, Anthony and Kate and you, to create something that really is a barrier while we're waiting for, you know, the research, the research and the tools. And it's not just wait well, while we're waiting. Actually, you know, if you think about what China does, but think about what Taiwan does, that they they actually are already in control. And now you add the vaccine to that, 
And you're not going to get a super spreader event as a result of going to the drugstore to get the vaccine to begin with. You, you, you'd only have to go a little bit further to get to economic normalcy, a little bit further to get social normalcy, a little bit further to get to health normalcy. And we've got, I think we have 685 deaths. Uh, so we're, we're, we're about 400 times more dangerous here than we are in China. Our, de- our, di- our chances of dying are literally 600 times higher uh, than, than they are in China. Um, uh, or 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 Taiwan or, or or Vietnam, it's even it's 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 several thousand times higher. We're that much more dangerous here, and it's because they are disciplined about their use of non-pharmaceutical intervention. I mean, the Taiwan experience was all about masking up, testing and tracing, and stopping it before it moves to exponential growth. And if you can do that, then you're going to have a much better experience when you actually do have a good vaccine to actually take that and then be able, and you'll be able to stop, you know, stop wearing, uh, stop all, all the extra uh, things you have to do today uh, that much faster. We're gonna go through a long period of time where we have to wait uh, for the effect and China will not. Well, I think you said it well, this was really made into a political, however it was done, but made into a political um, affair. And I think that that's even being said back to, you know, economies opening versus not opening and certain counties adopting it and others not. Um, well, I see you're wearing a red. I see you're wearing some red today, and they, the virus probably preferentially went after you as a result of being a red jersey holder. I, I, I think <laughs> that was happening. Don't quote me on that. I, that is not. I should not have said that. <laughs> I don't even mean it politically. I mean it. I live in Utah, and I'm not a BYU fan, and now, so I'm, I'm, not I'm wearing the blue. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh my gosh <laughs> we're out of time anthony it's eight o'clock um so i know we kind of want to wrap up and maybe do this again but thank you Absolutely. very much Love for you. coming on fred it was my pleasure mandy thank you very much for hosting us absolutely thank you you guys we'll be in touch soon have a great weekend there is one. There, there is one thing. Uh, Italy actually has about eighty million people in it. Not, not, not twelve. Eighty. Thank you for changing that number. Why did I? How insulting to the Italians. But but that's okay. They 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 they're they're used to that. They, 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 they. Still, that's a significant. That may be the number of people live in Sicily. Okay. Okay. The, the, the northern Italy. You're right. I think northern Italy. The, the area that was impacted was much In Milan. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Give thanks for help. Thanks, you guys. Talk soon. Thanks, guys. Have a good day.